Chris Levick. This is my lovely wife, Tracy. Hi, I'm John Rudnick. We're Barry and Anita Chenault. My name's Edward Devlin. My name is Rosalie Devlin. Hi, we are Brent and Sheila Howell. My name is Matt Leesman. Hi, my name is Hannah Rollins. My name is Chad Peterson. My parents weren't really focused on anything. They weren't religious at all. My dad would send me to Bible school for basically daycare. When I was 12, I decided I wanted to go to church with a friend of mine. I was brought up to the front of the church. The preacher put his hand upon my shoulder, pushed me down to my knees, and looked me in the face and told me I was going to hell. I never went back to church again. A friend of mine, he invited me to come to church on Easter with him. And for some reason, I called him up a week before church and told him I'd go with him. Nate gave a great sermon on Jesus and how God had put Jesus on this earth in human form and Jesus had died for our sins. Jesus went to the cross so that I could be forgiven. So I went home, I cried, and I asked for forgiveness. I've been back at church every weekend since. I've had multiple people that I've talked to that now are contemplating coming to church because of words I've talked to them about, things I've, I've discovered in my life. Amen. Well, that is what we're here for, right? Man, I'm just so, so grateful. Well, listen, we are going to be at the end of the book of Revelation. So we are, we're talking about the end of history, the end of God's story today. So find your way to the last couple of chapters, and uh, I'll get back there in just a minute. And while you're doing that, let me remind you of a couple of things by way of announcement. One is just this booklet, right? We've been talking about uh, evangelism now for uh, three weeks. Today's the last, and this is a little booklet that our... Uh, teaching pastors have put together, basically each of us has one of the ways in here is ways that our teaching pastors tend to favor when they're sharing the gospel specifically. So when you get to that point, you may find one of these to be helpful. Of course, the gospel message itself is there at the top. Uh, so get a hold of one of those, take it with you as a resource. I hope that will be uh, helpful to you. Also, uh, let me give you a couple of announcements to think about. One is this, we are coastal. It's coming up next Sunday. We are prepared, ready to have We Are Coastal. Now, I, I always say, if you're new to Coastal, come there. But I have been reminded, if you haven't been to We Are Coastal in the last two years, it's completely different than what it was when you came at first. So especially if it's been a long time, feel free to come. Sign up. Let us know. We welcome that. We would love to have you be there. We'd love to have some more people there so that if our guests are there, there are enough people around they can get to know somebody, right? If you're a small group leader, maybe there are some people in your small group and you're thinking, man, I'd sure love to get them into membership at Coastal. Grab them, invite them, bring them with you, and come to We Are Coastal, okay? But I need you to sign up, and I need you to do it quickly because it's next Sunday, okay? So we're going to provide child care uh, if you need that. We're going to provide a lunch for everybody. We start at about noon, and we'll run till just about 3 o'clock next Sunday afternoon. I would love to have you come. It doesn't oblige you to become a member, but it gives you all the information you need to know so that you can make uh, a wise choice about that. Ladies, now this is, is that Friday night, ladies? 
I think it is, Ladies Worship Night at our Yorktown campus this coming Friday evening. There's information about it and a sign-up sheet in the foyer in the lobby out here, so get your name on there, please. Uh, if especially, but all of you, but especially indicate if you need a ride. We're going to be doing some carpooling here from our campus up to the Yorktown campus, so uh, we just need to make sure we have sufficient cars and know when to meet and all of that, okay? Make sure you get your name on there and uh, participate in that. I think you'll find that to be a real blessing. And then lastly, our turkey drive we mentioned last week. You can bring frozen turkeys, and uh, we will collect them, make sure they get to our Yorktown campus where we have all the adequate storage facilities to keep them for a little while. They'll be used during our food ministry uh, in the month of uh, November, and it's huge. That's our largest of the year, and we give out hundreds of turkeys and hams, so please do that. And I want you to know, I, I was uh, informed just a couple days ago, we have, Coastal has identified something on the order of 40 Ukrainian families that we're going to give a box of food to for Thanksgiving, so that gives us an opportunity on their first Thanksgiving in the U.S. to uh, enjoy a Thanksgiving dinner on us. So those are some practical ways you can get involved and get engaged in ministry. All right, we are, as we've said, at the conclusion of our series that we've called Seek and Save. It's, it has been intended to kind of lay out a vision for why we ought to be evangelistic in our lifestyle. I've not I've not wanted to make this uh, an event sort of thing. I'm not trying to make it so that you will kind of make little forays out into the world and go find somebody and, you know, get a, a notch on the spine of your Bible, right? That's not our intention. Our intention is to love people, to, to build into their lives, to care for them, and to share with them the most important message they will ever hear, which has transformed our lives. And so we've tried to lay out for you... Uh, why God has left us here on earth to do evangelism, what it is that evangelism looks like, how do we make it happen, some of the motivation. Today, I want to talk about the urgency of evangelism. Why do we talk about it? Why do we at Coastal talk about the gospel so much? Why do we talk about it every Sunday? We mention the gospel in some form or fashion. Why is it so central to what we talk about? Don't we need to move on? And the answer to that question is no. We never move on from the gospel. We increase our understanding. We increase our knowledge. We grow in our walk with Christ. We learn to develop and to serve him more faithfully. But we should never move on from the gospel because it is, as Paul said in Romans 1, the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. It is the core of our message and it is of utmost urgency. So in our series on prayer, we touched on that phrase, God, would, would your kingdom come? Let your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. That's our desire. That's our prayer. We want God to be here. And we've sung about it this morning. How does that happen? Here's a, a difficult truth. I, as a pastor, have the... Uh, opportunity to officiate at funerals. In the time during which I've been a pastor over these years, uh, I was trying to add up the other day, I don't keep an actual record of them, but I would guess I've officiated at at least 150 funerals, standing uh, behind a casket of someone who has passed away. Some of those times are very tearful, 
I have been at funerals where it's just heartbreaking and everyone is just really uh, struggling. Some of them, many of them, have included happy memories as we talk about the person who has passed. And, and it, there's such a mix of uh, uh, perspectives when coming to a funeral. Mostly they're fairly quiet and somber events. But one thing I can tell you about funerals, we all get one. Unless Jesus comes back, every single one of us in this room gets one of those. It's the, one of the universal things in life, right? We all face death. We all will have a funeral. So the question isn't whether we'll have one. The question is, what will the prevailing attitude and feel be at our funeral? Will it be one of confidence, of certainty, of hope? Or will it be one that's a bit uncertain? Will it be one that we're uh, struggling with fear? And more importantly, what makes the difference between those two perspectives at a funeral? And how does it affect my view of the urgency of evangelism? As you know, you, if you're uh, new here to our campus, you're just now seeing these stickers that are up here on either side of our platform. But uh, these are the names of people that folks from our church family are concerned for. Either, either they don't know Jesus and they're trying, hoping to witness to them, or they're just friends or people they're concerned about that they want to perhaps invite sometime during this upcoming holiday season to our Christmas Eve service in particular. Um, there are almost 150 names here. Why is it so urgent that we reach our friends and neighbors and co-workers and family members for Christ? This is the heaviest message of the bunch, but I can tell you it is because of the reality that there is coming an end. There is coming a judgment and we have to face judgment with confidence, with certainty, because it comes to everybody. So, Revelation chapter 20 is where I'm going to be reading from. This is part of the vision that John had at the very end of his days. Having undergone martyrdom, boiled in oil, as I recall, and he didn't die. How's that? But they considered he had gone through martyrdom, so they considered him a martyr and put him on the Isle of Patmos and left him there by himself. And while he was there, he had this vision that we know of as the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he gets toward the end of it and he says this, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what is written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written into the book of life, in the book of life, he was thrown 
into the lake of fire. I want to pray as we get underway. Father, this could be a very uh, difficult sermon, but because of the hope and confidence we have in Jesus, it doesn't have to be. It is, though, a dose of reality. So I pray that you would remind us of the reality of what lies before all of us, that it might compel us in our urgency as we look to share the gospel and demonstrate our concern for those around us. I pray that you'd be pleased and lifted up this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. We're talking at first about the great white throne, as it's described here. The great white throne. It is a throne of judgment. It is a throne where it is decided who goes on into eternity with God and who will forever be separated from God for eternity. This judgment is, first of all, universal. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, those from the sea, those from death, and those who've already died. Every, everybody is here at this. It's universal. Nobody escapes facing the judgment of God. But it isn't just a large uh, general gathering of people. It's also personal. Did you notice what it said there in verse 13? They were judged, each one of them. Every single person faces the judgment seat of God. It's not, most of us are going to get get a pass, right? It's not, what do you hear most often when a friend of somebody you work with or that you're acquainted with and they have a friend who dies, what's the thing they say that hopefully gives them comfort? Well, they were a good person. There will be a lot of good people standing at this throne. Because this judgment is also just. See, we describe things like this as uh, a, a person being a good person. And how are we making that determination usually, right? We have said, well, it's, it's relatively speaking. We just don't want to say that because we don't want to speak poorly of the dead, right? We're, we're a little, it's, it's a tender time, so let's be careful of how we talk, but we, of course, are speaking relatively. Compared to some people, this was a good person. Here's the trouble with that. If you think that standing in good standing at the judgment seat of Christ, at the, at the great white throne judgment, where the books are opened, and it's determined who goes into eternity with God and who's going to be separated from God forever. What makes that difference? If it's, I did good, I did good enough, my question to you is this, just exactly how good is good enough? Right? I mean, is, I mean, we'd all agree, you know, the really horrible people that nobody wants around, they, of course, you know, axe murderers, you know, the really, really horrible people, of course, they're not good enough. But just how good is good enough? 
What is, a, what is a passing grade in school nowadays? 60, 70%? So let me ask you a question. If, if you, and I would never do this, so this is a big if, but if you were in a plane and you were going to jump out with a parachute and the instructor said, listen, like 70% of these will work fine. <laughs> no one would jump, right? We're not taking chances at 70%. What if 70% was good enough to get into heaven? Are we confident that we are 70% righteous? Now listen, I got to tell you, I know I'm not that good. But does that really seem like it's enough? How about 80 or 90? I mean, that's pretty good. Is 90 an A nowadays? When I went to school, you had to have a 94 to get an A, and that was an A minus. It, you had to be really good, and I didn't have as many of them as I would have liked. But, but it, what if it was you were at 95%? Is that good enough to get in? Or maybe, just maybe, God grades on a curve. Wouldn't that be nice? The, the, the bulk of us are in the 50 to 60%. We're about half and half. You know, I, yeah, I've got some bad stuff and I've got some good stuff, but I'm about half and half. And God says, okay, let's call that acceptable. We'll make the curve, the bell curve, include all of that group, right? How is that fair? What is fair, right? We have this thing about it's got to be fair. I had a, a young man in a, in a college group I was doing a Bible study with once, came in late because he had gotten a ticket on the way because he drove in the left-hand lane without more than one person. He's in the HOV lane all by himself, just long enough to pass the people that were going slow in the left-hand lane. Um, and he said, that just wasn't fair. I said, why not? Well, it just was I mean, I, didn't, I wasn't out there. You know, he started making all these reasons. I said, what you're saying is, Everybody who was breaking the law right then should have gotten a ticket. Well, yeah. I said, so it may not have been fair, but it was just. Well, yeah. This judgment is just. There will be no mistaking who's in trouble and who's not. So back to the question of how good is good enough. I can tell you how good good enough is. What does Romans 3.23 say? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We sang about the glory and the majesty of God this morning. Absolute, perfect holiness is the standard. This judgment will be just. So you might, you might say, but I'm not sure that, that, that we're really going to be judged by our works, right? We're just judged by whether we prayed and believed in Jesus, right? What does the text say? We'll be judged by our works. Now, hang with me here, because I'm, I'm going in an area that some people are going to be like, wait, hang on. But uh, it says we'll be judged according to our works. What John 3 says people will be judged because they have not believed in the only begotten Son of God, right? So it, there certainly is a piece in which they haven't believed. But what does Romans 3 say? We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages, the payment for Sin, Romans 6.23, is death. So it is about what we do. Our sinful behavior proves our relationship to God. 
So people who stand before God will not have a leg to stand on and say, you mean just because I didn't pray a prayer, I don't get to go to heaven? No, it's because you're sinful and here are the books to prove it. What about we who are followers of Jesus, the believers who are there? Now, this is a little exciting, so try and contain yourself. When the books are opened that has your name on it, each one of us, when your book is opened, what is going to be found in there? The righteousness of Jesus. You will be judged by your works, and all that will show up on every page, page after page, is Jesus, the righteousness of Christ, over and over again. And I'm telling you, this judgment is real. This isn't given, this is given in words that seem difficult for us to grasp, right? Hades was just understood, especially in Old Testament days, but even in the New Testament days, as the place of the dead. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, a picturesque way of describing the permanent, eternal situation of suffering and separation from God forever. It's real. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a Hollywood fantasy. All of us, if we've not trusted in Jesus, are what the Bible describes as spiritually dead. If a person dies physically in the condition of being spiritually dead, that's what this is referring to, the second death. I have to be spiritually alive. How do I do that? We've talked about it over and over. I repent of my sins. I believe in the gospel that Jesus, God the Son, Jesus, came, lived his perfect life, died on the cross, was buried, came back to life again. I believe the gospel, and I receive Christ. That's what changes everything. In fact, prior to that, as Paul describes it in Ephesians chapter 2, I, am, I have no hope because I'm without God in the world. Now, that all sounds horrible, right? It ought to sound horrible. Hell is real. Separation from God for eternity is real. God is holy. He cannot and will not accept any taint of sin in his presence. So part of the urgency of our evangelistic efforts is what we know is facing our friends and our loved ones and our family members and our coworkers if they never come to faith in Jesus. They face this judgment without hope and without God. My desire is not just to guilt trip you into talking to somebody about Jesus this week. Though, I hope this motivates you. I hope this helps to compel you. This isn't just, man, I sure hope they trust in Jesus. That sure would be nice. Listen, if they don't trust in Jesus, or if you're here this morning and you've never repented of your sin and believed in the gospel and trusted in Jesus, received him as your savior, you are facing eternity separated from God in a place that God made to hold the devil and his angels, the lake of fire. Permanent, eternal, conscious suffering. 
And you might say, well, that's not fair. Well, actually it is. Because we are all sinners. We are all short of the glory of God. Now, none of us is as short of the glory of God as we could be. We all know that. There are certain things at work, even in the world around us, even in the laws that are here, that restrain us from being as bad as we could be. And if we're honest, as bad as we probably would be. The judgment of God is real. The great white throne judgment is part of the urgency of this. But I want you to have a biblically balanced understanding of the future too. It's not just a guilt trip to say, man, if you don't talk to your friends and loved ones about Jesus, they are going to hell and it is on you, Bubba. No, that's not my point. God has given us the opportunity to impact those in our circle of influence for Christ. One of the reasons we do that is because we understand, what did, what did Paul say? Knowing the fear, the terror of God, we persuade men. I'm going to come around to that again in, as we get to the end of this message. It is a fearful thing. Jonathan Edwards, a preacher from a way earlier generation, said it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Your friends, my friends, our neighbors, our close associates who don't know Jesus are going to be standing before this great white throne. And when their books are open, if the righteousness of Jesus isn't seen, and if their name is not in the book of life, they experience the horror of separation from God forever. But the next chapter talks about everybody else. The next chapter talks about the rest of people whose name is in the book of life. Chapter 21 is for those who've trusted in Jesus as their only hope of salvation. What do they get to look forward to? Here's what the word of God says. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. I want to begin as we talk about the end of history, as we know it. The end of history begins with an understanding heaven is real. Eternity with God is a real thing. 
New heavens, new earth, kingdom of God on earth, eternity spent with God is a real thing. Just as real as the separation and the punishment that is the righteous, just payment for those who do not trust in Jesus and have the righteousness of Christ applied to their life. Heaven is real. It all sounds almost beyond our ability to put into words, right? I guess that's to be expected. Paul talked about how what God has prepared for those who love him is no eye has seen it, no ear has heard it, no heart has even ever imagined what God has prepared. Now, that's, that's something else. Because <laughs> we have a pretty good imagination. We've watched enough Marvel movies or whatever other ones, right? To know that, man, you can imagine some pretty, pretty amazing, fantastic things. But you cannot imagine how incredible it's going to be to live forever with God. But it's not fantasy. What did Jesus promise? Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Let me dispel a little bit of a misunderstanding that some of us have because that, that phrase in... Uh, John 14 used to be translated, there are many mansions, and so we're all imagining our own mansion in heaven, right? What we're going to have is a room in our Father's house. We get our own room, but it's in our Father's house. What an incredible thing. If I go and prepare a place for you, Jesus said, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Heaven is real. We will spend forever with our Father in Heaven, and heaven is righteous. Second Peter 3.13 says the kingdom of God is a place in which dwells righteousness. Some people want you to believe or want to make it sound like, you know, maybe heaven won't be that fun. Maybe, maybe we'll just be floating around with our wings and our golden harps bouncing from cloud to cloud. I mean, it just doesn't sound very exciting. But the way that John describes this in the fourth verse here of chapter 12 is by describing what's not in heaven. Let me, let me reread it for you. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be any mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. No death, no disease, no trials or tribulation or turmoil, no funeral homes, no psychiatric wards or drug rehabilitation centers, no sex trafficking or missing children. No bigotry, no muggings or killings, no worry or depression, no wars, no economic downturns, no unemployment, close friendships, but no clicks, laughter, but no put downs, intimacy, but no immorality, no hidden agendas. No backroom deals, 
No betrayals. None of the things that we hate about life will be in heaven, will be in our eternal home with God. So how exactly does that sound boring? Do we have a list of the activities we'll be involved in? Man, just being rid of all that stuff sounds incredible, right? Even more incredible than the perpetual presence of righteousness and the complete absence of our sin. Heaven is righteous, but heaven is also relational. We'll get to know God more fully. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. I will be his God. He will be my son. Imagine, says one writer, being able finally to get a handle on how God is one in nature and three in person. Imagine exploring the depths of God's love, wisdom, and holiness. Imagine forever growing in our capacities to fathom his immensity, immutability, and incomprehensibility, and to top it all off. The more we come to know him, the more there will be to know. Endless attributes await us. His grace will increasingly stun. His wisdom will progressively astound and his perfection ever more sharpen into focus. We serve a God, says this author, so wrapped with wonders that their viewing requires an eternity. That awaits those who have repented of their sin, believed in the gospel, and received Jesus. In whose books the righteousness of Christ has been transcribed onto their account. We'll be with Jesus. We read from John 14, right? That where I am, there you may be also. You may have moments, maybe during a, an incredible uh, worship song or worship experience where you just, you just feel closer to God. Listen, you'll never not feel close to God in eternity. There won't be any kind of separation. And we'll be with those who've gone before, right? First Thessalonians 4 talks about the end, right? The, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. So, meaning in this fashion, we will be together forever. So I want to give you a couple of thoughts to take with you today that I hope will be a challenge. And they are one word, and they are, uh, they're not written in your bulletin because I just put this together more recently than they printed the bulletins. Three words, though, for you to write down. Come. If you are here and you've never trusted in Jesus as your only hope of salvation, 
I plead with you this morning, come to Jesus. I'm quoting in certain respects from Revelation 22, where it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. That's what it had said just in a previous chapter, right? I will give to those who come the water of life freely, without cost. Now, of course, you understand that's without cost to you. It was an incredible cost to Jesus. He gave his life so that you could enjoy this. He paid the penalty for your sin so that you can, without any cost to yourself, take the water of life. Jesus used that illustration when he talked to a woman in, in Samaria. He stopped by a well and his disciples went on into town to uh, get some food. And while he was sitting there by himself, this woman from uh, Samaria came out and he engaged her in conversation. Uh, and uh, she quickly discovered he was way more than he appeared to be because he knew that she'd been married five times and that the man she was currently with was not her husband. And she said, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> so she was bright. Certainly, he was much more than what he said, and so she jumped into a religious conversation, right? You get, you get into a conversation with somebody, thought, oh, you go to church, oh, oh, you're a pastor. Hey, well, listen, I've been thinking about, right? So she brought it up. Let's, let's talk about where we worship. Jesus said, listen, uh, here's what I'm offering you. I'm offering you living water. Oh, she said, give me that so I don't have to keep humming here. <laughs> she still didn't understand. He said, listen, this is about grace truth, understanding the truth about God. See, what we understand is that that throne we talked about is a judgment. It's also a throne of grace, right? Because when your name gets read, if you've trusted in Jesus, you don't face judgment in the negative sense. The judgment about you will be righteous. That one gets to come with me. Come. If you're here, if you're listening to us live, if you are... Uh, watching this at a later time, and you've never come to the point where you've acknowledged that just like everybody else in the world, you're a sinner. And therefore, you deserve to be separated from God. I cannot, I don't know how to emphasize to you sufficiently. You have to repent. You have to turn from your sin, believe in the gospel. Jesus is God, God the Son. He came to earth he lived the perfect life that you will never, no matter how hard you try, live. And he died on the cross and paid the penalty for your sin. And after he was in the tomb on the third day, he actually came back to life again. People talked with him, touched him, interacted with him. He actually literally came back to life again. So you repent of your sin, you believe in those facts of the gospel, and you receive Christ to as many as who as who've received him. Jesus gives the power to become children of God. So if you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus, come, come and drink of the water of life 
It's been purchased for you. Secondly, to the rest of us, go. Go. 2 Corinthians 5.11, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. It is sometimes in understanding how horrible it's going to be that we realize this is not a small matter. This is just not some extra thing that, you know, I could do that too. I could also witness. I have to do this. There is no other way for people to come to Jesus, to, to be rightly related to God, except repent of their sin, believe in the gospel, receive Christ. And then number three, represent. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, so that when we stand at the great white throne and our book is opened, it reads righteousness from beginning to end. We go on behalf of Christ to offer the hope of salvation. Is it scary? Yeah. Is it uncomfortable to have that conversation? It sure is. Is it more uncomfortable to think about what will be the penalty for those who never trust in Jesus? I hope so. I hope today reminds us hell is real. Heaven is real. This is not just end of the you know pie in the sky. I sure hope it'll get better. The Bible is very clear. This is all real. Not like the force. Right? Sorry to disappoint you. When Harrison Ford comes back on the last one and says, it's all real, guys. No, it's not. No, it's not at all. It's all made up. There's no equal good and bad, and hopefully one will win out. No. There is God, who is the king of all, the king of the universe, who holds up the standard to which no one can attain, and then says... I'm going to send my own son, Jesus, to live in your stead, to die in your stead, to come back to life again. So all you need to do is believe in the gospel. And I will make you, I will declare you to be righteous because of my son, Jesus. We get to share that message. We are ambassadors for Christ. Man, I hope that excites you. I hope that this is rather heavy message will also be a message that has a great impetus in your spirit to say, I got to get out there and be part of this. I got to be part of the solution. Man, if you're here this morning and you're not sure maybe that you have done what you need to do to make your relationship to God right, we would love to talk to you after church this morning. It's so important. It is literally a matter of life and death. Please don't leave without getting that taken care of.
at the very least, please jot down on your Connect card, I want to talk to somebody about this, and then please drive carefully for the next few days. <laughs> I'm not joking, right? It's desperately important because judgment is real. So is heaven. I'm so grateful that we don't have to depend on what we do but we get to trust in the finished work of Jesus. So listen, I'm going to pray. And uh, as we close, we'll be singing together. There's going to be a prayer team up here. Whatever it is your need is, you've got some, some need in your life you're concerned about, you want somebody to just spend a little bit of time praying with you, they would love to do that. Maybe you want to pray about some of these names up here with them. There are people that you've put the sticker up here and you're concerned and you just want some prayer support. That's what they're here for. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted in Christ. That's the time. Come on, take care of it before you go home. They would love to talk with you, I promise. So the team's going to come. I'm going to pray. All right? Father in heaven, this is a heavy message. It's a heavy message to preach. It has weighed on my spirit throughout the night and this morning. And, uh, and yet, Lord, I'm so grateful we get to preach the truth because the truth isn't hopeless. The truth is about Jesus, who made it possible for us to have hope and confidence. So God, I pray, first of all, for the one listening, however, in person or, or online, who has never made their relationship with you right. Lord, please don't let them rest until, by your Spirit, you bring them to a point of acknowledging the truth about Jesus. And then, Father, I pray for those of us who've already trusted in Jesus. Lord, our, our task has just begun. We now get to make disciples. We now get to uh, talk to people about what has transformed our lives. So, God, I pray that you would change us. Lord, use this series of messages to remind us of the desperate importance of reaching our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers and our family members with the gospel of Jesus. Lord, would you bring fruit to the glory of your name from the studies we've been in together as people come to faith in Christ. For I ask in Jesus' name, amen.